All right, well, welcome. So glad that you're here today. Anybody traveling today? Anybody already travel? Yeah, my in-laws, my, my, my sister's in-laws traveled here. My brother left this morning to visit his in-laws in the Midwest. Carmen and I are taking off after church today to go visit uh, my in-laws in the Bay Area. We're going to do Christmas in Spanish. It's way more fun. <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah, and the big question that people ask when you're traveling is, what is it? What's the question you get from the backseat of the van? Are we there yet, right? Absolutely. Are we there yet? And the big question that um, people on the other end are asking is, when are they going to get here, right? When are they going to get here? So these are the, we're, we're into Advent here. It's the fourth Sunday of Advent. It's Christmas Eve, and we've been, during this Advent season, which we've called, uh, the series we've called Welcome Home, uh, we've been asking a series of questions that are commonly associated with an expected arrival. Questions like, who is coming? Who is it that we expect to be on the other side of the knock on the door? Questions like, who is waiting? And how does this season of waiting shape us? What does this season of waiting reveal about us? How do we wait well? Uh, last week, we asked the question, how do we prepare? What are, the, what are the things that we can do to kind of open our hearts uh, for this spiritual arrival that we anticipate, right? Because Advent is a season that essentially has sort of three parts. We're looking back at the original birth of Christ, this baby born in Bethlehem that the church believes is the Messiah of God, Jesus of Nazareth. We're also looking forward to an, a future Advent, a future coming uh, of Christ. And, and I would argue that probably most importantly, at least today as we understand it, is this expectation that Christ could come mysteriously, mystically, spiritually into our hearts even here and even now. That this would not just be sort of framed in and stuck in history and events, but this could, this could pervade that. This is the testimony of the church, that, that Christ has been born in us, and so we can expect his coming even in us today. So today I'm going to address this fourth question, which is a really specific and a really practical question, which is when will Christ arrive? And this is an important question to ask if we're taking Christ's coming seriously, if we're believing Christ's coming to be more than just some sort of disconnected spiritual idea, but if we actually have this hope and this expectation that Christ can come and fill our lives even here and, and, and now. If he's really coming and we're supposed to be preparing for his coming, then the obvious question is, well, when? When's he going to get here? What's the ETA? This has really practical implications for our life. It has, it has emotional implications for our life. And not only is this an important and common question, but this is a biblical question. When will Christ arrive is asked many times throughout the New Testament. Because the early teachings of the Christian church included not just that this baby had been born in Bethlehem, but that Jesus was going to come again, that he was going to return. And in several ways, and by many authors, this question of when will he come again is addressed. In other words, this is not an avoided issue. This is not just he's going to come again and then don't ever talk about it. They actually do talk about it, and they specifically ask, well, when's it going to happen? In other words, the writers of the New Testament don't avoid this question. They directly address it several places. But here's the thing. The answer to the question, when will he arrive, it's not what we expect it to be, which is almost always the case. It's not, it's not the surprise, or the answer is a bit surprising. 
Here's what I'm talking about. Jesus himself addresses this question about when he is going to return in Mark chapter 13. And this is what he says, beginning in verse 32. He says, about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son. He's referring here to himself, but only the father. Be on guard, be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house. He puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch. Because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. And if he comes suddenly, don't let him find you asleep. What I say to you, I say to everyone, Watch. So this is a succinct summary of the whole New Testament's answer to the question, when will Christ return? Here in Christ's own words, he's come once as a baby. When will he come back? Jesus here says three things explicitly. One, he's coming back. Two, nobody knows when it's going to happen except the Father. And three, be ready. That's the message, right? Be ready. What's the point? The point is that it is Christ's coming, this is important, it is Christ's coming, not the specific time of his coming, that is the main thing. It is the fact that Christ is coming, not the details around his coming, that is the main thing. Now, it's totally natural for us to ask, when's he going to come? Because typically the question about people's arrival lives within that context, Tell me what to expect. When are they going to show up? That's how you prepare for someone's arrival with their arrival time in mind, right? Maybe it flexes a little. Maybe a flight gets delayed or canceled. But the whole arrival takes place within this very known structure of time and specific expectation. That's how it happens. It's almost always the way it happens. If you ask any kid today about the Santa Claus story and the anticipation of when he comes, they all know. They know when it's going to happen, right? This is part of the deal. But uh, in the case of Christ's return, the timing matters far less than the arrival itself. It's the coming of Christ that matters in so many ways, on so many levels. Christ's coming, friends, is what defines the reality. It's it's that he comes. When he comes is just sort of a detail in comparison. And you all know this. You know this. If if, if I were to say Christ's his physical return is going to happen in 2025 or 2026, you'd be like, okay, well, the, the details there don't really matter so much. The, the, big, the big idea is that he's coming. Or if, I, if you told me, well, Christ kind of came into my life, I welcomed Christ into my life when I was 24 or maybe I was 25. It's not that the details aren't important, but it's just not the main thing, right? It's that he came into your life. That's the main thing, not specifically when it happened. Or say that the kind of the third option is your journey on earth ends, and you meet God, and you have that moment of reckoning with God, maybe it happens when you're 81, maybe it happens when you're 82. You see what I'm saying? In the big picture, the timing is not as important as the event itself. Christ is going to come. You're going to meet God, right? This is what we're talking about. Um, So uh, why am I making this distinction? 
because I think that our focus on the timing, on when Jesus will come, I think it illustrates a fundamental problem with our spirituality. I think it illustrates or it reveals a negative issue that impacts our relationships with God. And that fundamental issue is something that keeps Christ's coming into our life at a safe and surface level. It pretty much sets up a boundary that says you can come in this far, but not any farther. And then this is why it matters, because it absolutely uh, restricts the kind of peace that we can experience through Christ and the kind of power that we can experience through Christ. And this issue that I'm talking about, this fundamental flaw that is part of many of our experiences with God is this. It's the desire for control. It's the desire for control. And that's the kind of thing that is revealed when we ask questions like, well, when is he coming? Well, why do you want to know, right? What, why, why is that so important? Is, is, is something out of, out of whack right now? And by your knowing a specific detail about when he's going, that's going to be the motivator that you need? Is that why? Is, that, is it your desire to be sort of prepped and ready? Is it some sort of desire for comfort? Or, and it's understandable because our culture, in other words, the question is, when is he coming? And Jesus' answer is, just be ready. And we have trouble with that because we live in a place where our expectations are just, they're just finely tuned. We are nurtured into, an, into, a, into a reality where we expect detailed control about almost everything. Just listen to somebody order their coffee. I mean, we expect detailed control, the ability to like customize and understand and be comfortable with, and if I don't like it, I'm going to give it back kind of control over our life, right? This is the way we, this is the way we, this is the way life is for us, for most of us. Think about the dashboard of your car. We have a minivan. It has a temperature control on the driver's side. It has a separate temperature control on the passenger side, which is 14 inches away from the driver's side. How ridiculous is that? Who thought of that? Somebody who's like, you know what? These people are going to love personalized control. This is the way we like it. We want to know what to expect. Well, I like driving at 76, and my wife likes it at 79, right? It's like, that's the way we kind of like it. We want that specific ability to control. And then we wonder why our spirituality, our faith, our relationship with Jesus is just barely scratching the surface of impact on our life. Don't think these are not related. We wonder why our relationship with Jesus really isn't penetrating our emotions, the way we feel about things. We wonder why our relationship with Jesus doesn't really kind of, it doesn't give us the kind of peace that can sustain any level of adversity or conflict. We aren't able to rise above almost anything. We are taken out so fast. What's up with that? We wonder why we have almost no spiritual power. Somebody asked me to pray for them for healing this morning. That should be a non-negotiable, done deal. We should have that power. That's what I read about in scripture. What's up? Why not? Why is this so rare anymore? Where's the peace? Where's the power? I want to suggest, friends, that the relative impotence of our faith is directly related to the degree of control we demand. The relative impotence of our faith is directly related to the amount of control we demand. Oh man, I want to be in control. And a loving father says, 
okay, that's what he says. That's up to you. I'm going to pursue you. I'm going to love you. Nothing will ever change that. But if you want to call the shots, you are given the freedom to do that. And we wander around in relative spiritual impotence as a result. This is what we're reading behind the question in the gospel about when's Christ going to come? Now, it's an understandable question, but it reveals a deeper spiritual issue, which I, you got to see it this morning, and I got to see it this morning, and it is this, the desire for control. And maybe desire isn't even strong enough. Maybe it's a demand for control in so many areas, including our spirituality. Here's where we're going this morning. I think this desire for control, this demand for control shows up in two big areas. I want to talk about those two big areas, and then I want to offer uh, a hopeful way, uh, way forward a way which I believe will um, um, invite us to receive Christ into our lives today, uh, this Christmas, all right? So first, one way that, that our desire for control is revealed is this. We want Jesus to fit into our time frame. I'm talking really practical stuff this morning. We want Jesus to fit into our time frame. That is often what's behind the question, when will he arrive? It is not born out of devotion. It is born out of a desire for more information, which is going to be used by us to put us in this position, frankly, this illusion that we're in control. Give me more information because I'll feel better about that. I'll feel like I'm in control. As if we can set an appointment with Jesus. As if we're going to like pull out our calendar and go, okay, what about like Thursday at six after that event, which I don't want to give up because it's super important to me. So maybe I'll be available for you, Jesus, after that. Does that work for you? Can we check that? Do you have room in your calendar for that? It's like we say to Jesus, I can fit you in on Tuesdays, you know, after I drop the kids off at school before my first appointment. Are you available then? That works for me. Does that work for you, Jesus? I mean, it's ridiculous, right? But this is essentially, we may not say it, but I'm witnessing in my own life and in the life of our culture and our community, we want Christ's coming to fit into our time frame. We want, uh, we want it to work like that. We talk about finding time for prayer. We talk about making time for God. And, and what we miss is that Christ's coming, friends, Christ's coming, it defines time. Okay? It defines it. Jesus does not fit into time. Jesus defines time. And one of the ways that maybe it'll help our heads get around this, that our culture kind of at least casually embraces this, um, or has been marked by this until pretty recently, is this is the central idea that our calendars are still marked by this, right? This is the year A.D. 2017, and Latin, the year of our Lord, 2017. Still, as we understand time, as something that is defined in part by the coming of Christ, or we look at some ancient experience, some ancient history, like the Babylonian you know, conquest of Israel, which happened in 586 B.C., before Christ, Right? And so in some, in some level, we, we understand this, and, and, and our culture still sort of recognizes it. But I'm trying to talk about Christ's coming, defining time at an even more profound level. What I'm trying to say is that Christ's coming causes the end of time and causes the beginning of time. So if you were to ask the question, when does it end? The biblical answer is, when Christ comes. And if you were to ask the question, when does it begin? Well, the biblical answer is when Christ comes. The answer is not a point in time. The answer is a person who created time 
exists outside of time and literally defines time. So this is the difference in a practical sense. It's not, though we wish it were this way, it's not, well, when's he going to come? Well, like, when's work going to end? It'll end at the end of the shift, and that's at 6 o'clock, and that's in about 22 minutes, so you can prepare for it. Or it ends at the end, the game ends, there's the clock, and the game ends in like two minutes and 13 seconds, so start gathering up your things, because we can all tell the game's about to end. Or like, the year will end in seven or eight days. So put your things in order and set your goals for the next. We all feel the sense of control because we know when it's going to. That's not the way it is in this situation with the coming of Christ. It's more like this. When does the work end? When Christ comes. When Christ comes, the work stops. When Christ comes, game over. Okay. Uh, when Christ comes, the old way is gone. And the new life begins. And this may sound like his, cause, his coming causes the end of the old and the and beginning of the new. And I know that this potentially sounds like overly philosophical, but I'm, I'm just telling you the story of many of your own lives. Does anybody resonate with this? Like you look back over your life and it essentially falls into two big sections. Like there was life before Jesus came into my life and then there was life after I welcomed Jesus. Does anybody tell that story? Can anybody resonate with that at all? Right, absolutely. You have your own BC. You have your own AD in a sense, right? You look back over your life and you can see it is two parts. And it doesn't matter. What I'm trying to say is it doesn't matter if you were 13 like I was, if you were 40 like my dad was, or you're 75 when Christ came in. What matters is that he came in. What matters is you welcomed him in, right? The, the, the timing is kind of a detail. My experience in talking to a whole lot of people about this topic has convinced me that yes, the timing is important, but it is nowhere near as important as this fundamental question. Have you embraced him in? Have you welcomed him in? Is Christ in your life, right? Is he still the one that, is he still defining time for you? Like there was life before Christ, and now it is the 12th year in which Jesus has been my Lord. Or there was life before Christ, and now I'm in my first year of life with Jesus as my Lord. Or I'm in my 45th year of life with Jesus as my Lord. And this may be the most important thing I say. Don't forget what characterized that moment in your life, that season in your life, that transition. What was it? It was the surrender of control. That's what you did. Maybe for the only time or at a deeper level than you've ever done before. You surrendered control to enable Christ to come into your life. You stopped trying to fit God in when it was convenient for you around the things that were important to you, your plan, your calendar. You know, Thursday evenings, I have some space. Or after college is done. Anybody do that? After college is done, God, we'll talk. All right, well, maybe, or maybe some of you are like, I'm just so busy, but retirement looks good for me and God. We're going to get together in retirement, and that's when I'll have time for God. You... You, at some point, you stopped doing that. You stopped trying to fit God in, and you just decided to take the whole thing. Just take the whole thing. Fill the whole thing. You own the whole thing. In fact, just baptize the whole thing. The whole thing is yours. I want the whole thing saturated with your presence. I want the love of God and the presence of God and the peace of God and the power of God to drip off every page of my life. I'm going to forget the silly game of trying to say, well, God, you have the morning. 
or you have Friday afternoons. That doesn't work. We've created that concept, that paradigm. It's silly. He lives outside of time. He exists outside of it. It's frankly this. It's you give him all of it. He, he fills all of it because he will not fit in to any of it. Jesus is not going to fit in. He's going to fill, right? He's going to fill it all. The Apostle Paul uses this phrase, the fullness of time. He writes this to the Galatian church. When the fullness of time had come, God sent his son. This is the original, like the Christmas morning baby in Bethlehem story. Born of a woman, born under the law, which means affected by all of human experience, just like us, right? To redeem those who were also under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons, as daughters. So if you ask Paul, when's Jesus coming back? Paul would probably say, in the fullness of time. When am I going to experience Jesus like I read about Paul? He'd probably say, as soon as you let him baptize that whole calendar, stop trying to fit him in, because that's a silly paradigm. That reveals a completely silly view of God. No, no, you, you can't. How do I plan around that, God? Or Paul, how do I plan around the fullness of time? You can't plan around it. That's the thing. You can only be ready for it, and you can only submit to it, Right? He simply will not fit into your schedule. Jesus will only fill it. So we cannot try to go around this appointment setting approach to our spirituality if we want it to be anywhere near meaningful. But Jesus will baptize your whole calendar, okay? He will baptize your whole calendar. You just give him the whole thing. A second way that we reveal our desire for control, even in our relationship with God, is this. We want to add Jesus to our life. And I I doubt many of you would actually say it like that, but we live like that. We just want to add Jesus to our life. I mean, none of us really think Jesus is a bad idea, right? If we're here, we're probably generally pro-Jesus in my life, or at least the person sitting next to you is. And you said yes when they said, would you come to church with me, right? I'm guessing that we have all kinds of opinions about all kinds of things, and we have different views of religion and religious people, but that most of you would agree that the basic idea of people having more of Jesus in their life is a good thing for the world. People who are more like Jesus would probably be good for the world. Most of us are pro-Jesus, but most of us still want to be in control of our own lives, and that's the problem. That's the complication. That's where it goes, and it doesn't work. Most of us want to be in control. One way that desire for control shows up is we want to fit Jesus in. A second way that desire for control shows up is we want to add Jesus to. I heard Scott Daniels, who's a Nazarene pastor up in Idaho, he described this as turning Jesus into a condiment, like relish or mustard, right? And it's a very popular version of Christian spirituality today in our culture. The narrative is essentially this. You can stay in control of your life, You can have it the way you want it. Just add a little Jesus on top. He makes everything taste better, right? And we tailor make all kinds of stories around that essential narrative. I'm trying to show you, friends, how we can use all the right words, but get it all wrong and end up as Christians who have no real peace and no real power. And we're like, how did I get here? I'll tell you how you got here. You wanted Jesus, but you also wanted to be in control. And it doesn't really work like that. Rather than allowing Jesus to define your life, 
You've wanted to just add a little Jesus to the top of your life, and we do this all the time, and you can find books about how to do this. Are you a good businessman? You have a lot of credential and ability and savvy and connections. Well, that's awesome. Why don't you just add a little Jesus on top of that, and he'll make it even better, right? There's books like that. You've got a successful suburban family, your kid's doing great, right? Sports, school, the whole nine yards, beautiful house, a couple of cars, good friends. It's so good. All you need is a little Jesus on top of that, and it would just be better. It'll t- right? We do that. That's what we say. And, it, and it'll be better. Here's the truth. Any story that reduces Jesus to something you add in for extra flavor at some point, is not the true story. And apparently a lot of people are okay with it, but it is a far cry from why Jesus came into the earth as a human. It is a far cry from what Jesus had in mind when he said, I'm going to save this planet and restore it to what we originally planned for it to be. And if you're hoping, this is why it's tragic in my mind, if you're hoping to experience a relationship with Jesus that actually makes a difference and impacts your real life, This whole Jesus as condiment approach is a counterfeit and it will prove to be totally disappointing. And here's what will happen. And I'm just going to be straight with you because I've been doing this for long enough. You'll walk away and you'll say this. Jesus didn't work for me. Think about that for a second. That's not why he came. He didn't come to work for you. He came to rescue you. He came to redeem all of you. And this little poor little Jesus on top method, (laughs) it's faulty and doomed to failure from the start. It's just not going to happen that way. The apostle Paul writes to one of his disciples, Timothy, and he says, there are people who love pleasure rather than God. They have a form of godliness, but they deny his power which is to say, it looks like the real thing, and it sounds like the real thing, but it is not the real thing. How do we know? Because they don't have any peace, and they don't have any power. They're saying all the right stuff, they're going all the right places, or whatever, but it is a counterfeit version of Christianity. And my goal is not to be like, they're wrong, they're right. My goal is simply to say, oh my gosh, I don't want anybody to struggle with some fake version thinking it's the real thing because you're doomed to be frustrated and disappointed in the end. But we will continue to do so as long as we take this me first, I'm actually the one in control of my life approach to our relationship with God. We miss the power of the coming of Christ when we treat the coming of Christ as some sort of compliment or some sort of additive or some sort of bonus feature to our so impressive lives about which we want to be in control. We miss the power. We miss the peace. And and this is really challenging for people like you, and it's really challenging for people like me. Here's why. Because I'm not a refugee, and I'm not a slave, and my finances are a little tight right now, but the reality is I'm far from poor. The truth is I'm in charge of a whole lot of things. The truth is, I'm in control of all kinds of little insignificant things. But I have nurtured this expectation of being in control of everything. And when that bleeds over to my relationship with Jesus, it's poison. It kills the heart of it. Pulls the power right out of it. It is to miss the power of Christ as king, as Lord. 
So finally, a way forward, if I could suggest this. If I could paraphrase Christ's own words as both a challenge and a word of comfort to us as Christians, I would say it like this. Christ is coming. Christ is coming. Don't get distracted. Don't get distracted by all these silly efforts to be in control, like when's he coming? Oh, come on, just stop that. That's just, it's all rooted in your desire for control. So don't get distracted by that. It's understandable. We all do it. No, no judgment, but don't get distracted by that because that's not the main thing. He's coming. Don't get distracted. And number three, be ready. Just be ready. Be continually ready for Christ's continual coming into your life. Instead of trying to find time to fit Christ in to your busy schedule, just give the, give the whole calendar to him. Just submit the whole thing to him. Rather than letting your schedule dictate your availability to Jesus, how ridiculous is that, surrender the whole day, the whole week, all of it. Your waking moments, just surrender them to him. These are yours. I'm available. I acknowledge you're here. That getting ready time, that crazy, hurried, busy, I submit this to you too, God. This is also yours, and you can be here with me now. That, that eating breakfast, that drive to work. I'm not trying to fit him in. No, just give him the whole thing. This is yours. Would you be here with me in this time? This is all your time. I just want to be open and available and aware of your goodness to me throughout all through my work. Right? I set up reminders. I don't set up breaks. There are no breaks. There are reminders that Christ is with me in my work. So that's helpful to me. Let me be reminded of what's already true. Not let me take a break from my work and go focus on Jesus. See, it's a difference. It's all of it. Surrender all of it. Your eating time. Be here with me. Your sleeping time, right? May Christ fill it all. May you welcome him into every moment. And may you experience Christ in the fullness of time. And secondly, instead of trying to add Jesus to the rest of your life, instead of trying to figure out how to add him to life, how about this phrase that we all, many of us have said this, Jesus is a big part of my life. What? A part of your life, right? He, he's not a part of your life, small or big. That will not work is what I'm trying to say. And he is the one true Lord over everything. That's what he is. That's who he is. Isn't that a part of your life? Fundamentally flawed view. No, he is, the, he is and will only be the Lord over all. So embrace him as the Lord over, submit to him, surrender to him as the Lord over all, the king of all. May you surrender every part to the one who will not be a part, the one who will only be the king and the Lord of everything, of your home. God, this is yours. It's a chaotic disaster half of the time or more, but I surrender it to you, right? Your family, just give it to Jesus, the whole thing is yours. I'm surrendering control. It doesn't mean I'm not engaged. It doesn't mean I don't work hard. It doesn't mean I don't try. It doesn't mean I don't apply myself. But I'm not the one in charge and in control here. I'm surrendering it to God. Your work, your career, your practical demands of the day, surrender them to Jesus. Take all the parts of your life. Put them all under the guidance and the charge of Jesus as the one true king the one true Lord of everything.
Friends, if over the last bunch of years or the last few weeks, you have found yourself to be sitting in the seat of control, you look around and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm in charge. I'm acting like I'm the king of this whole thing. I'm sitting in the throne. If that has happened, man, surrender it again to Jesus. Surrender it again to God, the one who has given you life and breath and everything in this. Surrender it all back to him, your creator, your redeemer, the one true lover of your soul. And may he be born again in you today. Amen? May he uh, fill time for you. May he reign over all of your life. And may you experience the fullness of joy and peace and power that we read about as the fruit of this relationship with Jesus that is offered to all of us because of what Christ has done for us, not because of what we do for ourselves. So let's pray for grace. Super simple, right? And super challenging because we just continue to be forced into just the immediate needs and my ability to fix it. So let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would... uh, that you would grace each of these today who are here to step back. I pray for some, some, somehow some kind of slowness tonight or tomorrow. And I pray for grace to step back and go, oh my goodness, how did I arrive here? And to just say it again, uh, to welcome you in, in fullness Give us the courage to surrender what's scary for us to surrender. Give us boldness to just offer the whole thing to you. Thank you, Lord. We trust that your plans for this life are so far superior to anything we can imagine. And so we pray for grace to walk with you through the pain and the loss and the fear and the questions, and may your presence and power characterize our spirituality. In Christ's name, amen.